church as these kids are to children's church. I tell you, when you see all the kids run up like they are so ready to go to children's church, that's how I always wish church is for everybody. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, one of the things that I have just found, I have found so much joy in the church. Um, I think, uh, and let me just give me some leeway a little bit here this morning. Uh, I think uh, over time, one of the things that I've often said is uh, to people when they talk about the church, and we have this discussion quite often, especially once I tell them I'm a pastor, they'll, uh, they'll say, oh man, but there's just so much, you know, there's so much wrong, or there's just, you know, I just, it's all, the church has always been this way, and it's always been that, or, and I've heard so many people, so many reasons of why they don't go, and, and, and often I'm like, yeah, man, it's all those things, but I, to me, have you ever been in a relationship and it was perfect? I mean, I just like... I, I don't think I ever have. I love my wife, but she's not perfect. And I've been thinking a lot about that lately. I told her the other day, I said, you know what I love about you? Your imperfections. Praise God you're not perfect. Because those are the quirky things about you that I think are funny or cute. And it's the imperfections. The things that she doesn't even like. I'm like, are you kidding me? You don't like that? You know, we, we, we're, talking, we're getting ready to go on this diet. We're getting ready to get married again. All right. And I'm married, but I like to tell everybody, like, I'm getting married, you know. And uh, in June, and she's like, well, I think I'm going to tone up. I was like, you look great. No, I don't. I'm like, you do. <laughs> like, I promise you, if you only knew, like, I live with you. I, I kind of do know, you know. Um, you look great. You're perfect. Now, I know I could work on a little bit. She's like, yeah, you could. But I love her just the way she is, whether she loves me just the way I am or not. But that's the funny thing, right? I love that she's that way, right? That's not necessarily perfect, but I love the imperfect. I've been long enough with my wife that I love the imperfections about her. I think those things are perfect, right? Those, the quirkiness. If everything was perfect and everything was needed, it'd be boring. And I think that's when God made the church, it's far from boring. Oh, it's not convenient. It's not fun all the time. But I've yet to know a relationship that is. There are times in our marriage where it hadn't been great all the time. Then the hardship, honestly, it just it's, it's drawn us closer to the Lord and closer to each other, you know. Uh, but the church is such a beautiful thing. And when you start to love it for its imperfections, and you start to love it just like it is, all human, totally human. What I mean by that, I mean fallible. None, per, not, no way can it be perfect. It's made up of people. There's no such thing as perfection. That's a, that's a myth. God is perfect, but that's God, right? But God loves the imperfect thing, which is so cool, which is so cool. And I think once you start to look at maybe the church like Jesus does, you start to see it as this just messed up kid always trying to get better, but always struggling. And you're just trying to love it until it gets to the end. And I really think that's, that, that's really the way it is with Jesus and us, I think, many times. I think, really, the whole journey is the whole journey. I don't know if you ever get to arrive at that place where you feel like, okay, this is it. I finally reached the place where me and Jesus, and he could just take me at any time. No, I don't know that you feel like that all the time. What I do know is that you just keep working on your relationship no matter how long it gets, right? I've been married for 22, 23 years now. I look forward to 50 and 60 years of marriage. I look forward to those things, right? But I can't imagine what the Lord looks forward to. He looks forward to eternity, right? Which is crazy, right? The, the idea that our relationship can just continue to go and continue to go and continue to go. And we can just continue to learn more and more about each other. 
and, and even the little things, even the little things. So I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm always excited to see little kids in church and see them excited to be in church because I'm excited to be in church. And I, I love church with all my heart. Um, I would also tell people at times, like, how can you hate the church and love Jesus? Because I've heard people say that to them. Like, uh, that's like saying, I like this guy, but I can't stand his wife. I'm pretty sure you're not friends with that guy if you hate his wife. Or you're not going to be friends long because I wouldn't talk to you if you hate my wife. You don't get to talk about my wife around me. So we can't talk a whole lot, you know, like Jesus has a lot, of, a lot more grace than I do because there's just no way I could tolerate it. Jesus does tolerate it, but that doesn't I mean there's no way you're going to get to love Jesus and hate his wife at the same time, man. His wife has problems. He knows that, but he gets to say that, not you. <laughs> he gets to say that. So, well, man, we, we've arrived here at the final one and, and I, I didn't know that I was going to have a final one. I, I didn't decide, hey, it's only going to be this seven week series or eight week series, whatever it's turned out to be. I I didn't go into this having a, a, a really a series idea or anything. I just knew that God had told me in the beginning of this, the year that we're going to focus in on the Holy Spirit and we're going to have Spirit-filled services and we're going to bring our Pentecostal roots back. We're going back to our origins to discover where we come from. We come from Acts 2. We were birthed in the Spirit. We were a church born of the Spirit. Uh, there is no difference between the Acts 2 church and our church today. We want to move and function within the Spirit. You can move and function within the Spirit. The only thing holding you back is your faith. Allow your faith to rise up. Well, how do we do those things? Well, that's why the next step was prayer. How do we exercise the gifts? How do we exercise this thing that God has given us, this Holy Spirit, which makes us powerful, which makes us be able to lay hands on the sick and they be healed, which makes us speak with the tongues of men and angels? Well, we have to exercise it, right? And it helps if we pray, if we pray. So we finally, I feel like we've walked through this enough. I feel like we've gone through a lot of these things that we're now here at this last uh, one and I, it might be the best one at least in my opinion I feel like I've got I feel like I could like write a whole book about what we're going to talk about today uh, and I found myself like completely fascinated where God has led me to like in this or kind of maybe crescendo on uh, we examined in the past I don't know if you remember we examined the desperate prayers of Hannah you know, and how desperate she was. And we, we examined Habakkuk. Uh, we studied the prayers of Daniel and Nehemiah. We saw the power of ownership, taking responsibility for not only our own personal sin, but for the sins of others. We looked at the prayer of Jehoshaphat and we saw the similarities uh, between our own lives uh, and the things that leads us into prayer. We walked with Jesus as he uh, taught us the Lord's Prayer and he modeled that. Uh, it basically gave us this idea of how we should pray, right? Uh, and we listened uh, this last week to uh, what he prayed when he was getting ready to go to the cross, praying for his friends, praying for those that were uh, uh, around him, and, uh, uh, and, and even listening to what the purpose of prayer really is all about, which is to conform us unto the likeness of who he is, so that as we pray, we become more like him, right? All of this that we've talked about is what prayer looked like before the birth of the church. The church isn't born until Jesus has to die, resurrect, and ascend, right? And it's born after that, right? So this is all we've been talking about is all what prayer has been modeled or looks like before the ascension of Jesus. And what I want to look at today is after the church is born and is in full swing, what does it look like? How is prayer in the church how is prayer making its way around and we're going to look at how God interacts with his people and how we will accomplish his will through 
individuals. And, and, and even though things may seem small and uh, uh, it may seem insignificant, we only see really in part what's happening. Uh, God uh, uses some ordinary individuals to set some things in motion that are going to change the world. And it's interesting how he does it. He does it through the means or through the gift or through the community, however you want to call it. He does it through prayer. He does it through prayer. So we're going to jump right in because we have some scriptures to tackle and some stuff to go over. We're going to be in Acts 9 and Acts 10. Acts 9 and Acts 10. I'm going to give you a few minutes. I want you to follow me in scripture. I think this is a neat, very neat couple of chapters. Like I said, I think I could write a whole book over it because there's so much happening in these two chapters. Uh, and we're going to cover it and then kind of get an overview of it. Maybe one day we'll come back and just sit and dwell on all the things we can mine on it. But for right now, we're just going to kind of run through it a little bit. Acts 9 is where we're going to begin. Acts 9, verses 10 through 18. Acts 9, verses 10 through 18. Say amen if you're there. I like it. I like it. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to, the, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and, and to kings, as well as the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias went, and he found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Let's pray real quick. Father, I just ask, Lord, that you take um, this, this, these words, these simple words, Lord, and you convey the thing you want to convey, that you Right now, pull back the stone or the, the things that are guarding the heart, God. You open the ears, you, you open the eyes, and may they see and hear things maybe they've never heard before. May they walk away um, having encountered and been enlightened, God, by your word. So that we walk out of here, they have learned and have grown, God. May it be the water to their seeds, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So this man, Saul, we know who he is. He's this murderer of Christians. He becomes Paul, right? We, we kind of know who this guy is. His reputation precedes him in this case. Ananias has heard of him. Everyone knew his name. Everyone knew what kind of mission he was on. He, he had aimed to put a stop to the Christian movement before it even began. However, we know that Jesus had other plans. Now, Verses 1 through 10, if, if we were to go read those, they offer a glimpse of the Holy Spirit knocking uh, Saul off his horse, striking him blind. The, uh, and this was a wake-up call to Saul. It was kind of a big deal. Uh, he, he would spend the next three days, the Bible tells us, fasting and praying in complete darkness. Now here's a guy who could see his whole life, 
Everything is good so far. He has a purpose. He has a mission. He knows what he's about. He's doing this not because he hates Christians. He's doing this because he has a love and passion and zeal for God. And yet he's, he doesn't understand that Jesus uh, uh, and the Father are one. He, he wasn't part of that whole believer core. He's part of that old school core that says this is the way it's always been. This is the way it needs to stay. Uh, and he's doing this not because he just hates people and he's just mean. He's doing this thinking he's doing the right thing. He thinks he's really doing the right thing. So when he's walking and he's going up, you know, the Lord knocks him off the horse. And here he is now. He's fasting. He's praying. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. He thought he knew what he was supposed to do. Now his whole world has been turned upside down. He has never experienced blindness before, but he, now here he is, right? Luckily for him, there's a man of prayer named Ananias, right? Remember, this is what prayer is. Communication between you and Jesus. It was in prayer that God came to Ananias. Ananias was already praying. Hear me. He was already praying like he just does every day, right? I, I got to sit in on a funeral yesterday. Uh, uh, with, we, we, I just called her Grandma Martin. And, and as we sat in the funeral, we listened to, Grandma, listened to them talk about Grandma Martin. She was so prepared. It was a, kind of a funny funeral because she had already prepared her funeral. She literally had two pages of stuff for Pastor Womack to say. And he wasn't even supposed to, like, he was, he was not allowed to preach, but he had to, like, read everything she said. Now, the really super cool thing about all of this is that um, in this process, in this process uh, of, of prayer and everything, um, that, that uh, one of the things that she was known for, and they said that she did every day, is that she had her little list of people she prayed for. She had this small little chair. It's really a kid's chair. And she would put it next to her bed, put the list on the bed, and so that when she sat down, she could see the list. And every day, that's what she did. Every day, she would get in, sit in that little chair, look at her little list, and pray for everybody on that list. And one of the things that they walked away going, one of the part of her reputation was everybody knew that she was going to pray daily. Ananias was such a person as well. Ananias, I can, like God's like, I can count on this guy, right? Because he's praying every day. That doesn't mean every day he got a message from God. But this day, when he decided to pray this day, he got a message from God, right? It was in prayer that he receives this vision and this conversation that's taking place. It was in prayer that Ananias had to find love and grace for a murderer, and an enemy of the faith. Think about this. You can't just trust that with anybody. Remember, I've talked about stories in here where I really couldn't stand this worship leader one time, so I started praying for him. What happened? I ended up liking the guy. We ended up going to football games together and stuff, right? This is a guy I didn't even like before. But as I started praying for him, God began to change my own heart. And the people I didn't like, all of a sudden I could love. Well, that wasn't him. He didn't change. No, I did. Why did I change? Why well, I had spent time with the Father. Again, this is the results of a prayer life. I can, God's saying, I can trust Ananias with this because he spends time with me. That's who I'm going to trust with missions. You, you, you want to, everybody wants a purpose or some big divine plan from God, but God's not going to just trust anybody to those things. God says, people who spend time with me are the people are the ones that I'm going to send out. That's just how it is, guys. You wouldn't send out a stranger to go do things that are important, would you? Why would God? Why would God? 
God's been, he's, so he, he, here he is, Ananias, this is, he's changing, right? And, and listen, <laughs> Ananias is human. Don't believe me? What did he say to God? God, this guy's a murderer. <laughs> like, I don't know if you're watching or paying attention, but he's like killing your people. And God's like, it's okay. Like, I've seen him. I'm giving him this chance. I'm going to show him. I'm going to give him a ministry, and his ministry is going to be great. But it starts with you, Ananias. You're a praying man. Paul is praying right now, and while he's praying, I'm giving him a vision of you, and while you're praying, I'm giving you a vision of him. You're called to each other, right? This is not going to be happenstance where your two worlds collide. I'm telling you right now that it's going to happen. I need you to be me right now, Ananias, I need you to give grace to the murderer, to give love to the guy who's your enemy. I'm asking you to do the things that you've learned to do here in prayer. It's amazing. And it's also in that same prayer, Ananias finds the courage to do what he's been called to do. Right? In prayer, when we spend time with God in prayer, this is where great thing happens. Let me tell you what, what happens. We become obedient. Even when it runs counterintuitive to us. God, this guy's a murderer. I need you to give grace and love. That all sounds great, God, but until he kills me. No, I need you to have courage here. Number one thing, I need you to do what I've asked you to do. God trusts people of prayer because people of prayer spend time with him. His courage, Ananias' courage, does not come from his guts or from his raising of his mom and dad. They come from spending time with a God who can take care of him. His love and grace come from a God who has shown him love and grace for his faults. Right? He learned all this in prayer, right? It's in prayer that he was given direction and instruction to what to do when Saul arrived. And what did he do? What did he do? He prayed for Saul. It's interesting, right? So the praying man Saul is given a vision about the praying man of Ananias, right? They finally meet because they're told to in prayer. And what do they do for each other? They pray. Man, this is like the central theme of these whole two chapters. It's pretty incredible when you start to look at it, right? He prays for Saul. The Bible says that he lays hands upon him and he prayed for him in the Holy Spirit that he might receive his sight once more and even a greater gift that he might have the gift of salvation through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Saul is literally baptized right after that. Right after that. And listen, Ananias isn't found anywhere else in the book of Acts after that. Oh, we all know Saul's ministry. But that's the only time we hear about this great man of prayer. Think about it. And yet if not for this lone man praying in his secret place, as Jesus has told us to do, right? We would be missing the latter half of the book of Acts. Because the first half is all Peter, but the back end is all Paul. And guess what, guys? There'd be no epistles to the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Galatians. Come on, there'd be no Timothy. There'd be none of these guys if there isn't a Paul. And where does it begin? Oh, it doesn't begin with Barnabas. Oh, Barnabas is like, I found this guy who got saved. And that's what we often think of. We think Barnabas is like the talent scout, right? He recruited Paul. Look at this great guy. No, 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 man. It started long before that in prayer. It started because Ananias had a prayer life. And in Ananias' prayer life, he began to hear God when God began to speak to him. So as God was working some things out with Paul in Paul's life, and Paul is praying, God's working these things out in Ananias' life, and these things collide. And the praying nobody 
now gets somebody saved, and this one person that God sends him to go lead into salvation is going to change the world. By the way, I, I think too many times, and I know like when we read books, I don't know if it was like this way as your kid, but I used to watch this movie called The Never-Ending Story. And the cool thing about The Never-Ending Story was when you read the book, you were thrust into the book. That, the idea was that you became part or actively part of the book. And when they were teaching kids, at least back in my age, one of the reasons you wanted to read a book, because if you read a book like Treasure Island or some of these places, you were there. You could experience it through them. And that was the cool thing about a book. You could vicariously live through the people in there, right? How many of you do that with a Bible? I do. Right? Now, how many of you want to be Ananias? Now, how many kids want to go be King David? Oh, we've heard about David's exploits, right? Oh, man, David, yeah, he slew the giant. How many hear the kids hear that story? Or about Jonah? Nobody really should ever want to be like Jonah, but it's interesting how much we talk about the, you know, the person inside the fish, right? But, you know, or, or Noah's Ark, horrible time. Nobody should want to be Noah's Ark either, to watch all those people die in the water. I mean, like, it's, these are horrible stories, but we've, you know, kind of kidded him up, you know, to, to tell him, but Here's the thing is, those people are way more famous or way more known. Or when, we, when we talk of the Bible, we don't talk about Ananias, but Ananias leads Paul to the Lord. He leads the guy who writes 75% of the Bible that you read, of the New Testament that you read to the Lord, and nobody knows his name. So before you think God can't use you, that's naive. That's naive. And you think too small. And you think too small of yourself. The praying man has favor with God. What's he say about the fervent prayer? The fervent prayer of the righteous avails. When the righteous pray, God listens and God answers and God uses those who fervently pray. Ananias was a man who was in fervent prayer. God had heard his prayers. So God said, you know what? Here's a man I know prays, spends lots of times with him. He has been conformed unto my image. So I know that he'll do what I ask him to do, right? And you know what he found out about God? For the God that they all made out to be scary in the Old Testament, Ananias found God to be a God he could reason with. God, do you know this guy's a murderer? God's like, yeah, I know this guy's a murderer. By the way, if you read the Old Testament, most of the time they're scared to talk to God like that. But Ananias has gotten to know God through prayer. So he's like, God's not a big mean monster like y'all make him out to be. I can say, hey, God, you know he's a murderer. And God's like, yeah, well, obviously I made him, you know, kind of know who he is, you know. Uh, but I need you to go see him. We're going to change his life. And that life change is going to help your life. Ananias, this fear that you live in right now for people like Paul, we're going to use him. And he's going to change things. Ananias, I need you to be on point. I know you've been nobody up till now, but I need you now. Pretty amazing stuff. And the cool thing is that this story is not even over. Like it's just continuing on, right? Turn to chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. It's still going. Like it starts there with Paul or Saul getting knocked off his horse. And, and eventually, it, we, we see this whole thing take place between the prayer of Paul. Prayer is the center point there between him and Ananias. Ananias is in prayer. There's prayer. It's just bathed. The whole thing is in prayer. And then chapter 10 starts, and look at verse 1, and I'm going to read to like verse 8. It says, in Caesarea, where there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. And as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. Listen, he's not talking about gods or other gods. He's talking about to the God. All right. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel coming toward him 
Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. So once more, we're seeing this familiar trend. Here is a man. This time, he's not Jewish. He's a Roman, a Gentile, an army officer who had come to worship the same God as the Jews. He had been obviously influenced by being in his surroundings, right? And you've got to love some of the description of this man too. The Bible says that he was a devout man and that his singular devotion to the Lord was influential over his entire household. He was a man who worshiped God and if he was going to be a man who worshiped God that was the head of that house, everybody in that house was going to be people of God. Oh man, that that could preach right there all by itself. In this description, it says he was known for two things. Two things. His reputation is preceded on two areas. The first one, giving to the poor. What's the second one? Prayer. Prayer. What a wonderful reputation. If you aspire for nothing else, wouldn't that be the thing you'd like to be known for? They knew for how generous you were to people who who needed it. And they knew what kind of prayer warrior you were. I mean, we could all aspire to be the same. Cornelius, what does he do in this scenario? How does this whole thing take place? What's he doing? Well, he's a devout man. He does it all the time. This is just something natural. What was Paul, Paul gets knocked off the horse. He prays once he gets knocked off the horse. A lot of us pray like that, right? But Ananias is praying every day when his vision happens, right? So here's Cornelius. What's he doing? He's doing what he does every day. He's praying. There's a point where he goes off aside from everybody else, and he is praying. And it's in prayer that he receives, like Ananias, a vision. When Paul fasted and prayed and he was in prayer, what did he receive? A vision. Ananias fasted. Ananias was praying. He got a vision. Cornelius is praying. God is giving him direction in a, in a vision. We read just these same incidents happening in the previous chapter. The vision comes with a command to summon the apostle Peter. And so what does he do? He sends men to summon the apostle Peter. It's just simple. Once more, the same characteristics are found between Ananias and Cornelius. They both are men of prayer. Because they pray, they're both men of vision and spiritual insight. And because they pray, they are men who know the voice of God. Because they pray. They're both men of obedience. They've learned to trust the very voice of God. If God says go, they go. If God says send men to Joppa, I'm sending men to Joppa. I don't know what's there. I have no idea who this Simon Peter guy is. But if God comes to me and tells me in my prayer time, I need to send somebody, I'm sending somebody. By the way, that seems like vague instructions. Hey, he's off the coast over here living by the good of the guy. Can you imagine? It's not like they had Google. Can you imagine that journey? Hey, I'm going to send this person like way over here. They're going to have to ask around. Hey, do you know this man? He's supposed to be living somewhat. This is what the vision told us. Wait a minute. You came out here because a vision in your head told you to come out here. Mm-hmm. Right. But he's obedient. As crazy as it can sound, right? This singular obedience to the will of God unfolds some unbelievable results. Look back at the scriptures with me at verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. Now, 
We're not even talking about Cornelius anymore. Now we've moved on to Peter. It was about noon and he was hungry, but while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the man sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, These men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, well, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man and well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. Straight up Pentecostal story. God told me to come to your house, so I'm here. God has a message, you know? Now, here's where we should really see the difference in a man of prayer. After all, this is one of the Lord's very own disciples. If anyone can show us what a man of prayer looks like, it's going to be one of Jesus' own disciples. However, you know what you find here? Nothing different. Isn't that interesting? You don't find anything different in how Peter handles visions. Or it's all the same. He prays just like everybody else does. His vision isn't more flashier than anybody else's. They all have angels talking to him. God's got this whole thing going on. I mean, he's organizing all of this, right? Prayer is interesting because it makes us all equal in the eyes of God. Peter doesn't get just say, well, I'm Peter. I was like number two to Jesus. Like, bro, it's so what? Ananias, I don't know if you've noticed, Ananias is like nobody in the Bible, and he just got to lay hands on Saul. And y'all know who Paul ends up doing. Paul ends up writing so great and so awesome, it's unreal. So it, there's a lot of cool stuff happening right there. Prayer makes us all equal. And just as the Lord answers the Apostle Peter in prayer, he does the same thing with Ananias and Cornelius. Peter's praying when he receives the vision. All of a sudden, he's like in the prayer, and he's like coming out of it a little bit, but it goes into this trance, right? This celestial conversation begins to take place. It's not unusual. We just read a couple of them, Right? And the neat thing is that it's really trying to teach Peter on the love of God. Oh, yeah, you're going to have to do this, Peter, but I'm about to give you some instruction about the love of God, right? And it's pretty amazing what the Lord is trying to teach Peter. He's dealing with the heart of Peter in this on matters of purity and holiness and quite possibly a little bit of racism. Because Peter don't like the Gentiles. Think about this. The Jews have always looked at the Gentiles at this point as the race that is less than themselves. Right? These are their oppressors. They don't like them. But God is now trying to supplant the idea that anything God touches is good. And can I tell you something? For that to change in you, it has to happen in prayer. Martin Luther King Jr. knew that. One of the greatest sermons I ever read from his talks about how he could love his enemy. And he goes, you know one thing I love about, he goes, the one thing I can love about the white man that tries to hate me, he says, he says that somewhere in him is some good. And the good things that he says, I do see, he goes, some of those guys actively go to church. Some of those guys actively are, are, they believe with all their heart in these areas. And that's the places where I can agree. That's the places that I can love. The place that where they have such great devotion. 
because I do also have passion and great devotion, so I can love them there. And so he, he, Martin Luther King Jr. really talks about picking those and focusing on those areas where we can come together and I can love my enemy, right? But the only type of people that do that are the people that are Jesus, right? Because when I see so many people, especially in social media, where we have this tendency to say, you need to get all these people toxic, bad influence, blah, blah, blah. And there's some truth to some of that, especially if you're weak-minded. But I'm going to tell you this, there's always, everybody at some point or another has been the toxic person to somebody else. And man, if we were all to get all the bad people out of our life, we'd be lonely. That's just the straight up truth. <laughs> some of us had to get rid of some families. <laughs> but God wants to work us out. God's trying to work this thing out. He's trying to teach Peter, listen, Peter, this thing's bigger than just the Jews. This thing's bigger than just the Jews. There's a bigger thing happening here, Peter. There's a bigger thing happening here. To me, it's humbling. I mean, for Peter, you've been thinking one way for so long. And then God comes to you and he goes, you know what? It's time to think different. I know you've been thinking like this. I know this is the way you function. You've been raised to hate these guys. But that day's over. And let me tell you, unless you're a person of prayer, this is going to be hard for you. I think we're having a problem. Did something break? Okay. Are we good? Oh, okay. Lord Jesus, thank you for men who can handle that. Listen, change is hard. And so when we, when we pray, pray allows it to change us, right? And it's hard. It's hard. Peter thought it was hard, right? That's why God had to come to... I don't think that God could have approached Peter anyway. Like, I don't think Peter would have been the cop... He was a little hard-headed. That's why I love Peter so much. He reminds me of me like the only way, it's like God said, listen, the only way we're going to change Peter is if we just like make him see an angel or something because that ain't going to happen any other way. Like I don't know if he's going to be able to see a Roman as an equal. You know, think about that. This guy who shackled his friends, this guy who's like killed off people that are his people, you know, it's, it's different. Uh, it's It's hard. It's hard. Prayer changes us, though. Prayer changes even when things are hard. This is why many, many people today are smart in the scriptures. They attend church on a regular basis, but rarely do we see any growth or any change in them because they just don't pray. I know a lot of people can quote scripture like crazy, but they are the worst individuals. I'm, I'm not kidding. I've met some of the meanest people in the church that are so Bible savvy, but ain't got the spirit of God in them for nothing. The devil can quote scripture. That don't make you saved. Just saying. That's just the truth. If you're mean as all get out, is Jesus in you at all? Do you spend time with God at all? Well, you don't understand. They were this way. I know Jesus says forgive. Yeah, it's hard to forgive them when they're constantly doing stuff. Don't, don't put yourself in a dumb position and then blame them. If you're smart enough to know better, that's your fault. Right? Listen, as a pastor, I get this a lot because there's people that I help out over and over and over. Right? With the whole fear like, hey, man, they might not ever come to church. I'm okay with that, you know, because at the end of the day, you know what I think? It's okay, because what they're going to experience from me is love and grace. They're, that's what they're going to experience from me, and I'm okay. I don't get hurt on it, because I give them to Jesus. It's not, it's not like they're hurting me. They're not hurting me at all. I full well know what I'm up against. I, I would say that we all need to kind of be that way, too, but you know why I can be that way? Because I pray. 
You need to pray. You need to be a men and women of prayer. Prayer conforms us to the likeness of Christ. And if we're not going to pray, then, we'll, then all we'll be is someone who might know the truth once in a while, but we'll be always void of power in our life. You can pray and still not have a powerful prayer. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you, you have to be sincere. There has to be this thing where you and God confer back one to another and really change each other right? Look at how all this plays out. Acts 10, 34 and 30 through 36. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Skip down to verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out of the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have to receive the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked them to stay with him for several days. I got to love that part. Man, they're speaking in tongues. We should probably go ahead and dunk them in the water now. <laughs> Put that fire out real quick. <laughs> I mean, there's a fire going on in that house, you know? I mean, it's, it's like they walk in the door. They can't imagine in their greatest dreams that the Gentiles are going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, they walk in. I prayed for them. I gave them the gospel basic message. And as soon as I did, everybody started speaking in tongues and everything. And we could tell that they got the Holy Ghost and they got filled up. I guess let's just baptize them. All right, let's call it done, man. Church service. All right. I mean, that's just an interesting deal, right? In prayer, Peter heard the Lord speak. In prayer, Peter was given a vision. And we're starting to see the similarities here in the last two chapters. In prayer, Peter learned to be obedient, to do what God had called him to do, even if it worked against the grain of what he was born believing. Hear me. In prayer, Peter learned humility. He didn't allow the praise of these gentlemen to go to his ego. Because if you read on the part that I skipped, they fell to his feet and praised him at first. He goes, get up. I'm a man just like you are. I love that part. It's like a human side of that, right? In prayer, we see the first Gentiles to receive the gospel. Do you see a trend here amongst all these men? All three of these men were men of devout prayer. All three of these men had a prayer life. Their devotion to prayer allowed the opportunity for God to speak in their life and use them in an extraordinary way. All three men were given visions and clarity about what to do or what you're supposed to do next. And do you know how many people ask me about clarity or direction and instruction when it comes to the Lord? People ask me all the time, well, I just want to know what the will of God. I just wish God would tell me. I just wish God would give me some kind of instruction or just tell me what to do. You know, the irony is, is those same people that love free will. Just had to throw that in there. The same people that love free will are the same people that don't want it at all. So ironic. So ironic. You know, oh, we got free will. We can choose whatever we want to do. Then quit asking God to tell you everything to do. Go use your free will. I think the neat thing about Jesus is that he frees your will and then asks you, ask you for it back. Oh, that's a whole nother sermon. <clears throat> but that's the truth of God. God says, all right, I've, here's your will. It's free now. Now make the choice to follow me. That's bold. That's some bold stuff. I, I broke your chains. Now, will you handcuff yourself to me and put yourself back in chains? But to me, you can always handcuff yourself, unhandcuff yourself at any given time, right? 
pretty much the analogy often the Lord asks of us, right? That's why I love Paul when he says, man, I'm a bond servant to Jesus Christ. I'm happy to be chained to Jesus. I'm happy to be chained to his cause. I'm happy to be chained to the Holy Ghost. I'm happy to be chained in prayer. I'm happy to be chained in joy. I'm happy to be chained in peace. Amen? Well, I'm preaching whether y'all are listening or not. Right? People are always asking me this stuff, right? They look at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, hey, you should pray. Like, my first answer is always like, well, what do you think about this? Well, I don't know. What did the Lord say? Well, I hadn't really heard from the Lord. And then how much are you praying? Like, like my wife even, I've had to say it to my wife, like, well, what did the Lord say? Well, he's not saying anything. Probably should keep praying. I'm just saying, like, if you want an answer from the Lord, I'm not him. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. <laughs> I'm not him. I can give you an opinion, but I'm going to tell you what I, I would do. I would just keep praying. Well, God's not saying anything. Then maybe the prayer is to wait, or it's no. Are you praying because you don't like the answer? Or is it just to wait? Maybe it's not time. That's To us, that might as well be a no already too, right? No, because I want it right now. Yeah, but right now it's not always the best. I hate that, by the way. Okay, I'm just like you, okay? There's a, we did a thing called Seven Project years ago. I think I've told this story, especially in leadership before. And I'm brand new as a youth pastor. I say brand new, probably. I've been here like four years, five years, I think, in youth pastoring for three or four at that point. And I want to do this thing called Seven Project. It's this big, huge evangelistic outreach. If you know Kyle Embry, he came and, sp- he came and spoke here, did an outstanding job, probably the best sermon I've ever heard him preach in the whole time I've known him, the decade or better I've known him. And he came in, and, 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 and Kyle, that's what he does. He goes into schools and evangelizes to schools. And so we did this big seven project, and I'm like, yes, this is what I want to do. And at this point, God had given me favor, and I was meeting with all the youth pastors in town, so I have them all conglomerated together. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. I want to go in there and win the entire school. I want to get into our high schools and our middle schools. There's 2,200 students in there. We can... Go in with this organization right here. I want us to pay for it as churches. Da, 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 da. This sounds like an awesome thing. It's going to be great. And I love the very first time when I brought that up, they were like, it's not time. What? It's not time? How is it not time? Like, what else is anybody else doing? I mean, come on. Like, I saw, like, it's the perfect time. Let's do this. Because we were also brand new meeting with each other. They said, so let's do this. Let's continue to get to know each other and pray for each other. Daryl Fishbeck said this of fellowship. I think I can say that because I think it's wisdom to hear his words, all right? I'm doing him a, a solid by telling you that it was wisdom. He said, Jim, you know I love you. You know we're friends. I'm trying to tell you, like, it's just not, it doesn't feel right right now. Let's give it a year. If we're all still meeting here a year later and we're all still loving on each other and we're all here as a family of brothers together and God's still drawing us together like he was doing at that time, then, man, we're all in. Can I tell you I counted the days That's how bad I wanted to do it. But I listened to him because he was right. And the Lord quickened me that it was right, even though it's not what I wanted. Hear me, because I think this applies to a lot of your life. You know why I knew it was right? Because I'm a praying man. And I can hear the voice of the Lord, even if it comes from you. Can I tell you? I've heard the voice of the Lord come out of my own daughter's mouth before. And find such wisdom that like made me think for hours about some of the revelation that just came out of her mouth. And she just took that as trivia to her. That was nothing for her. Some of your revelation that God has given you in your life based off your experience is revelation to somebody else. And you don't give yourself enough credit. 
God has taken some of you through the ringer. And you have wisdom to hand out. You don't know it because you don't pray enough. But that's part of the problem too, right? So I've been praying, and guess what? We did it the next year. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. We end up doing an evening service on Wednesday night. Out of those 2,200 students that we had in the school at that time, 900 came back for the service. 900 came back for the service. You know how many churches were involved? You won't see this probably again for a while. I think it was 11 or 12. 11 or 12 churches were actively involved in that whole thing. There, I have a picture of, of 11 or 12 of us youth pastors standing on the stage at one time. We represented the community of believers that, that loved this community and wanted to see this change for God. Right? And you know the biggest takeaway was? Yeah, we had salvations that night. And that's awesome. Don't get me wrong. There were a lot of kids that gave their, gave, gave their lives to the Lord that night. I had so many adults come up and say, I've never seen the churches work together like that. That's like the craziest thing I've ever seen. And if I never see it again the rest of my life, I saw it once. And I know that God can do things through prayer. And God, what God had done that year was draw us close together because we prayed for each other all the time. We were praying for each other. You know why you can get that many churches together? Because when those pastors start praying for each other like they're best friends, that's when life changes. That's when life changes. And, and you, let me tell you something. There's a bigger picture happening. I'm way off my notes. There's a bigger picture happening. And I, I'm just going to preach off the cuff here a little. You know what was really happening in all that? The neat thing, there's this overarching, listen, God wanted to reach our community. You know how it lined up? Because we were all praying. And as we were all big praying men, right, God began to speak into us about working together and giving us a passion and heart for each other. Can I tell you what we're reading today? God didn't want to just reach Paul. This all isn't about Paul. It's not about Ananias. It's not about uh, Peter. Acts 9 and 10 is not about Cornelius. You know who it's about? Acts 9 and 10, specifically who it's about. It's about the Gentiles. God wanted to reach a whole other race of people with the gospel. You know what? If the Jews are going to be stiff-necked like Paul would go on to say in Romans 11, then I would open my gospel up to the world in hopes of making them jealous is what he talks about. So God decides, I want to reach the Gentiles. Well, let's see, what can I do? Well, there is this guy over here, and he's murdering people like crazy. Man, that's going to be a guy, if we convert that guy, oh, come on. And you know what good thing is? He's doing it because he, he loves me. Now, it's twisted sounding, right? Because he doesn't understand Jesus. He, under, he doesn't understand the current work that I'm doing, but he does have a zeal for me. So if I approach him in a certain way, right? But here's the thing. You know, God knows I need somebody else that's going to help because God, one thing you're going to learn about God when you're praying for something, like I need God to answer my prayer. Let me tell you something. God answers it in the form of people. So this is just how God works. So God says, all right, I want the Gentiles. So I'm going to create a man that's going to go to the Gentiles, right? So he looks and he finds Saul. But here, listen, Saul's kind of hard-headed at this point. I can't just reach him in normal prayer because he's praying, he's praying kind of blindsided here. He's got a, an intentional Pharisee heart still. Well, we've got to have to knock him off that horse a little bit. So I'm going to knock him off that horse. When I knock him off the horse, he's going to be humble. And he's going to come and he's going to begin to fast and pray because he knows how to fast and pray. Except he'll fast and pray with a humble heart. Oh, man, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. And so Paul begins to fast and pray, and God says, okay, I need to send him a vision, all right? God's a great multitasker. 
And so God sends Paul. I'm just kind of giving you the whole round look here, right? Just to see this whole thing, how he's reaching the Gentiles. So he says, okay, we're going to send Paul. I'm going to send him over to this other guy. This other guy's a nobody. He's not one of the apostles. He's not. He's just somebody who, who received it. Maybe he was there in Acts 2 when it broke out in the Holy Spirit and he took it back to his house. And now he's praying and he's devout. Here's this other guy. He prays to me all the time. He's not far. I can connect these two, right? So I get on the telephone. I'm calling Paul over here saying, hey, man, there's this guy named Ananias. Uh, uh, that's going to heal you. Hang on, hang on, conference call. Click over here. Hey, Ananias, I know you're in prayer right now. I'm sending you a vision of this guy. His name is Saul. Uh, yeah, yeah, hang on, hang on. No, Paul, I'm still with you. Uh, but, but no, yeah, I know he's a murderer, but I'm telling you, he's going to be a good guy. I'm going to show him how much he's going to suffer. It's going to be this awesome ministry. Hang on real quick, Ananias. Look, I'm still here with you. I just had to put you on hold. You're going to go see this guy named Ananias. Uh, you need to send him. He, he's going to lay hands on you. It's all going to get worked out, and you're going to get, it's going to be good for you, Paul. Click. Hey, I got him sent. I know you're still not comfortable with it. But it's going to be okay. I'm going to send him over to you, right? He sends him over, scales are dropped. Now, in the meantime, Acts 10, right? It's not like afterwards. No, this is all happening together, right? I know we've chaptered it and we make it look, but look, these stories are all happening around the same time. At the same time, God is on another call going, I, uh, uh, angel, I need you to go down to this man, Cornelius. He prays all the time. I hear his prayers. They come to me all the time, right? This is the perfect time. We're trying to set the whole Gentile thing in motion. Peter's not going to be the guy that's going to launch this into necessarily its full of ministry. No, I've already got that handled over here, but I know the Jews aren't going to listen unless we put somebody that's right next to Jesus in charge of it. Think about this. Think about this. We let some newly convert go after the Gentiles. They're going to call him a fake and a liar. But if Peter is involved, the second, the right-hand guy to Jesus, it's like putting a stamping of approval on it. So he calls over and he says, man, Corn, Angel, go talk to Cornelius right now. I'm in the process of putting Peter in this trance while he's praying. And we're going to coordinate this whole thing together. And what ends up happening in Acts 9 and 10 through the, through the unbelievable, unbelievable uh, uh, power of prayer is the whole momentous force of the evangelism, maybe the largest evangel evangelistic movement of its kind since Acts 2 which is the one that's going to reach the Gentiles, the one we're still here today because of Acts 9 and 10. And where was it born? In prayer. In prayer. All of it's bathed in prayer. When did, when did, God, did God send an angel to him physically? No, he sent it to him where? In prayer. How did they talk back and forth with God? Was God standing in front of them? No. They had their head bowed just like you do. That little small voice wondering, you're wondering if that's God in the back of your head or is that you? Same one. Same one. Right? God, this seems crazy. You want me to go up to this murderer and tell him, like, that's nuts, God. I'm not sure if that's you. I'm going to bow out. Not people of prayer who know his voice. This says the sheep know my voice. You people of prayer, the whole thing is bathed in prayer. The whole movement of the Gentile beginning, the evangelistic pursuit of the Gentiles completely washed and bathed in prayer it couldn't have happened without prayer god used prayer as the medium to reach all of these men what does that say about prayer or what does that say about the power of prayer or how much you should be praying or maybe that the reason you struggle with purpose destiny fate whatever it is you want to call it the thing that you're trying to do is because you just haven't prayed enough by the way, these men were known as prayers. These always didn't happen in their life. It's not like Cornelius had on a regular basis with angels coming to him in his prayer. That, it shocked him, remember? 
I pray all the time this doesn't happen. First of all, people who are eligible for such things pray all the time. If you want to be a part of something big and you want God to do something great in your life, it starts with being consistent. You've got to have a consistent prayer life. Well, I feel like God doesn't. Listen, most everybody feels that way. Be faithful. Be faithful. You have to be faithful. Our faith is so shallow these days, and we struggle there. We struggle, we struggle so bad there. But we have to press on, man. There are bigger things at play. And here's the neatest thing to me about it is most of this is like, anybody ever hear about Cornelius again? No. Anybody ever hear about Ananias again after that? No. Ordinary guys. You know, you, you cut, you, you, we, we have such a small brain. We are so small-minded. Everything we do is so small. We think so small. We think we can't be used because we're nobody. We think that we're, we're, we're like God doesn't see us. We too often, we just think so shallow of our own lives. Or maybe, you know what's even worse? You put God in a box. You think God doesn't see you as, as great. You think God doesn't uh, see you as awesome. God, how do you feel about your own kids? Don't you think that they're awesome? How, how do you think that God doesn't think that way about you? You don't think God doesn't want to see you have your best life? He does. He does. Right? I'm not here to preach health, wealth, and prosperity, but I know this, that God loves me. God loves me. God has me right where he wants to have me. Right? And listen, success in any of this, Ananias doesn't get some huge ministry after this because, hey, I discovered Paul. I'm the main guy. No, nobody hears about this guy ever. If anybody gets any credit for that, it's Barnabas. Right? For coming along going, hey, this guy's awesome. Paul, this dude's awesome, right? And you never hear about Ananias' story ever again. Nope, Ananias don't care. He doesn't walk around trying to tell everybody. Yeah, if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't even be around. No, he's not saying stuff like that. You know what he's doing? He's living the same devout life he always had. And he knows that his part to play, however small it might have felt in the moment, was a bigger part. And here's the thing. God loves people like that, that don't need the recognition. Don't believe me? Read Matthew 6. He screams of it. Don't worry what people will say, you know. When you pray, don't let anybody see you pray. I see you. That's all that's important. Can I tell you that's what Ananias learned? I see you, Ananias. I know you pray, and I can use you. I know that you don't need the spotlight, so I'm going to use you. You're gonna, the spotlight's going to be on this guy, and it's going to be a hard road for him. But I know you don't need that, so I'm going to use you. Cornelius, I know that you don't need the spotlight, so I'm going to use you. I'm going to bring the gospel to you. I love that it says that from praying and from being generous to the poor, he had found favor with the Lord. May we all have that, right? May we all have that. Can I tell you, this is what the church looked like after the ascension of Jesus Christ. You want to know what movements were born after Jesus left? First of all, the explosion of the power of the Holy Ghost, Acts 2. It came to the Jews. Why? Because they were praying in the upper room. Next, from there, from there came the uh, Acts 9 and 10. God is deciding through persecution. He's ready to go out and save more. He wants the gospel to go out, so he sends persecution, right, in the form of Saul. But Acts 9 and 10 says, you know what? That's changing. Instead of using men to go kill other men, we're going to use these same men to save men. All that changes and all of it. This is how prayer works now. God is going to take 
ordinary individuals who are devout in their prayer life, those who give themselves and give their time to the Lord, and God is going to use them, though nobody might ever know their name. I promise you there are more prayer warriors sitting in the pew than there are in the pulpit. I promise you. Don't get me wrong. There's some great men that have come from the pulpit that are great prayer warriors, but make no mistake, there are many that you never heard. You know, the, the old joke, always the adage that, that, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, there's always the praying grandmother. Praise God, there's somebody praying in the family. Because there should be. There should be. As we approach Easter, this is where I want our heart. I want it in tune with the Holy Spirit. I want us praying. I want us to be like Ananias. I want us to believe like Cornelius. That even though we might be ordinary, that, that, that maybe we might not see ourselves as, as this extraordinary individual. God sees us as that if we are praying people. If we are generous to those who need our generosity. If we give to the poor. If we want to help people. If we desire those things and we seek God in those things and we become a people of prayer. God will do the things he said he'll do. Right? I want us to be like Peter. All movements are born in prayer. All hearts are changed in prayer. And it's prayer where we find the passion for the lost and to be able to love the unlovable. Man, I'm going to tell you, get ready for Easter. Because if you think we're just going to be like singing and praising to a bunch of saved people, <laughs> get ready. It's probably going to be loud. Get ready for that. Because there's a lot of people that wheel out there. And there's all different types of people that, that are out there. But that's the, the, you just get ready. I need your hearts right because we have a big job ahead of us. You know, watching it on social media when the Hidden Falls put it out, they've already pretty much booked solid the entire weekend for reservation-wise. I mean, there's a possible chance they'll have about 1,000 to 1,500 people in the park. I've already seen tons of people tagging each other, super happy that a service is being provided there. So I'm expecting some numbers. I need us on point. This is going to be an unbelievable evangelistic opportunity. Not only for that, this is a cool moment for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I'm going to need your help, whether it's with parking. I'm going to have to need people that need sign-in sheets, and we'll make sure people have signed into the park if they're coming from the outside. I'm going to need help uh, with the egg hunt. That's going to probably be a big deal. There will probably be a ton of people that just come for that. What are you saying? Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. I can hurry that along and get some shirts made for us and so that we know who's who and things like that. Uh, I had somebody volunteer for cooking. Better get ready because there's a lot of cooking needs to be done. <coughs> no. Yeah, if you miss service, it's okay. We're, I'm planning on that. You, you, you better get ready. You better be ready. Be ready in your hearts. Because, man, whether whether... It's people who come and, and maybe, maybe they don't give us the very thing, the eye candy that we want at times where we want them to walk up to the front and raise their hands and see their whole life be changed. You just don't know what happens in the seat. You don't know what happens what's secretly back there when God's saying something. Can I tell you, like some of the greatest moments I've ever had is where I was just singled out of the crowd. My call to ministry didn't happen because I went to the front and cried on my eyes. And My call to ministry happened while I was sitting amongst the 300 people it's just one of the many hiding in there and god shut down the music in my ears and just turned his voice up and you just don't know when those moments happen and and i walked out of there nobody knows anything about that that day 
I didn't tell anybody that. I didn't, I didn't like say, hey, everybody should look at me right now. I'm hearing the voice of God. Nobody knows, but it happened. Listen, don't put God in a, in a box of what he can or won't do on Easter. Maybe people will come up and raise their hands. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray for that, that we see salvation just opened up for people. Or maybe rededication, people just coming back, finding their way back. You know? I know one thing. There's something good to going to where they're at. We're pulled out of our comfort zone, but so are they. We're right in their backyard. And some of these people, they're going to go back to their cities, and they're going to carry whatever we brought back. It's got to be good. It starts in prayer. The movement started as soon as all these men began to pray. Saul lost his sight, so what did he do? He prayed for three days and fasted. Ananias was already praying. Cornelius was already praying. Peter was already praying, because that's what disciples do. You cannot pray and be a disciple. I mean, you have to pray. You, ha- you can't call yourself a disciple and not be a person of prayer. It doesn't work. All disciples pray. It's biblical. It's foundational. Basics 101, right? Basics 101. Now, we're going to get ready for worship. And I'm going to bring them up. And we still got some things to do. But as we begin these things, think about this. This is what we close out on. So we're not, I'm going to begin this Easter series, you know, as we go over the next month and we'll crescendo there at Easter. But to, to close out like this, I feel like God has given us a revelation here just to see how everything is so bathed in it, right? As we approach Easter, everything we do, our worship is bathed in prayer. Our, our word is bathed in prayer. Our singing is bathed in prayer. What we do during the week is bathed in prayer. It might, listen, none of you do anything insignificant when it comes to helping each other out. Every person that prepares a meal on Wednesday is doing the ministry of God. Make no mistake, you're being the hands and feet of Jesus by preparing those meals. You come in and you help out and you set up or you tear down. You're all doing the ministry of Jesus. We're all do this for each other so that we all can enjoy the ministry of Jesus, right? And so every time you do these things, make no mistake, don't trivialize them. Don't let them, oh, we're always just set up and tear down. I'll be glad when we have, listen, there'll come a day when you won't get to set up and tear down. There'll become a day where all of this stuff will be and your life will get a whole lot more comfortable. But you know what you'll do in these moments and those moments when it's all comfortable and nice? You'll talk about the good old days where you used to work hard for Jesus. That's how we are. We're nostalgic. We hate it while we're doing it, but as soon as it's gone, we love it. You'll miss the days. That you did all these things where you really got to be the hands and feet. It was tiring work and it was hard work. But you did it. You did it. You enjoyed the fruits of it. You know what the fruit of it is? How many of you made something that's been over there? We got something to eat on a Wednesday and you saw everybody eat it. You know what the fruit of it is? The happiness of that. That you got to come in and fill somebody's belly. You got to make the conversation happen over the dinner table where we learned about each other during the week and we heard about each other's burdens and we shared each other's stories back and forth about how our weeks are going and how our lives are going. You were a part of that. You helped make that happen. That's the ministry. That's the ministry. Every part. Every part. Everybody has their part too. Everybody has their part. Let's stand up. We're going to bring joy up. Bring the worship team. We're going to worship the Lord.